Good morning. It is um, a joy for us to be here, kind of, almost. Um, we're kind of stuck in the middle of limbo at the moment. Uh, I've told a couple people this morning we're not all that excited about all the driving, but uh, we know that's coming to an end uh, soon, I pray. Connie has promised me it would be sooner than later. So I'm holding it to that, and our, our strategy was <clears throat> if we... Brought our entire family and stayed in their house that they would probably motivate Connie to get done quicker. <laughs> so, uh, needless to say, our hopes are, we're, I guess we're aiming and hoping we'll be able to move in the week of the 16th, 17th, you know, Lord willing. If not, then, you know, soon thereafter. Uh, but, again, we want to say thank you uh, for your graciousness. We enjoyed our time here a couple weeks ago with you. Uh, it seems that I've run a few people away already, uh, but uh, we'll have to see if we can uh, regain them. Uh, Pastor Willie, it's, uh, I'm sure I have big shoes to fill, and uh, I'm so grateful that um, you're still here. Size nine. Size nine. Well, <laughs> well we're pretty much the same then. Um, we have the privilege of having our, our family as well with us, or some of our family, my wife's mother, Sandra, is here, and her husband, Don. They've come to, to join us for our first Sunday in a new church, so we're thankful that they're able to come and join us for that, and we're going to return and, and return the favor by invading their house this evening. Uh, so, and, uh, but anyway, so enough of that said, I want us to get started this morning, and if you'll open your Bibles, I hope that you do. Uh, bring your Bibles with you. If you don't, I hope that in the future you will. First uh, Thessalonians, uh, book of First Thessalonians. If the search team will recall, uh, when they came to hear me preach a couple, well, month and a half ago or whatever it was down in Smithfield, I preached a message from First Thessalonians. Uh, don't get excited. I'm not preaching that message today. Uh, it was from the very end of First Thessalonians. However, uh, what I have decided to do as you try to decide what are you going to do in a new place. I don't know you yet. You don't know me. You might think you do. Uh, but uh, so where do we start? And so it's a very, it's, a, you know, it's almost a, a guess as we're praying and trying to seek. So well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. a very short book. Uh, we'll be several weeks there. But we will end ultimately at the passage that uh, I preached uh, that the committee came and heard. So you're going to have to hear that one again uh, in several weeks. So but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, it's already been mentioned here. I've said it. Skip said it. Several other people have said it. We've used the term, we're thankful. We use that term a lot, right? We're, we're thankful. Well, the question is, what does it really mean for us to give thanks? Uh, we're, we're taught uh, from very early age as we're growing up uh, to be very polite and courteous in, in, in society and our culture. We say things like please and, and thank you. But when we use that that idea, that term, we're thankful or we say thank you, typically uh, we're relating that to something very positive or something very pleasant. We usually say that we're thankful or, or, or thank you in instances that involve personal gain of some sort. Whether that may be that somebody has given us something and we say, well, well thank you. Or whether someone has been gracious enough to let us uh, bring our entire uh, uh, family with all their quirks and all their flaws and stay in their home, we say thank you. Uh, so we say we're thankful that God has, has led us here to Conway. Uh, you say you're thankful that you have a pastor, at least you do today, uh, and hopefully you will continue. 
we usually involve that with some positive or pleasant personal gain. It usually refers to some sort of pleasant or inviting circumstance. But what does the scripture teach us about this concept of being thankful? Now, yes, it absolutely teaches us some of the things that we just generally would say, uh, moral characters, uh, what I've just spoken of. But is that all that the Bible means when it talks about the concept of being thankful? And and so for that purpose, I, I want us to turn our attention to that very idea this morning. Now, understand that thankfulness, while we're going to focus on that this morning, is not the central idea of the letter that Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica. But it is the subject of the very beginning of his letter. So let's read this morning the first five verses from chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Our Father, we want to say thank you for the word. And we want to ask this morning, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, that you will speak to us. And Father, I know better than anyone here the flaws that are involved in the messenger this morning. And Father, I pray that you would supersede all of them. And then in spite of the messenger, myself, Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross and you would, you would speak uh, through your word. So I pray that we would magnify the scripture, that, Lord, you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would give us understanding, not so that we can walk out of here and, and feel smarter or, or satisfied that we have, have uh, maybe found a solution to a dilemma uh, in, in, in trying to figure out something, but rather, Lord, that we would walk out of here glorifying our God much greater because we have sat under the preaching of the word and your word through the power of the Spirit has, has reigned over our hearts. We pray this morning that we would find ourselves submitting to the word and being conformed to the word, to our Lord Jesus Christ by the word, rather than, as is so often the case, trying to conform the word to our opinions and our lifestyles. So God, have your way in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now just briefly, the book of First Thessalonians, which is probably one that maybe you've read since it is a shorter book, five chapters. You can read it in a, uh, a single setting. So it's books like that that typically we're maybe more familiar with. Uh, you're probably more familiar with this book because of the contents of chapter 4 concerning the, uh, the return of our Lord. A uh, very common passage. But this entire book uh, is written by Paul, as you know, we just read, to a small infant church that's located in the region of Macedonia. You have no idea where that's at? It doesn't really matter, Okay. But, uh, but the Macedonians uh, are in that area. We're going to find out how the kind of impact that the, this little church, and we assume, or we, we kind of have the idea that it wasn't a, a very large church, but they had a great impact in the region that God had placed them. In fact, you can read about some uh, of this, uh, about this church in Acts chapter 17 at another time if you want to. But 
Much like many of the churches that Paul uh, began to establish as he preached the gospel in new places, uh, the Thessalonian believers uh, found that it was uh, very difficult. They, they, they lived underneath a great deal of opposition as they uh, sought to follow Christ. And so after Paul had left this church and been away for a while, he, he grew concerned. And we're going to read about that a little bit later in chapter 3. He grew concerned about the difficulties that the church was facing. Now, the point is, right now is not what the nature of those difficulties were, but just period that they were, they were struggling to, to live out this life, the gospel. It was very difficult. Um, and so in his concern, he was unable to return and, and kind of check up on them. So he sends, he sends Timothy. And so Timothy goes, he, he, he spends some time there, he finds out what's going on in this small church, and he returns to Paul, and he brings a report. And it's from that report that Paul then begins to address, or writes this letter to address uh, some positive things, but then also, as we'll find in, la- in the latter part of this letter, some, some concerns. Not necessarily some bad stuff, but some concerns that Paul uh, understood was going on there. Above all the concerns that he mentions in this letter, the overall concern uh, that we will find in this book is the hope of the believer. In in fact, we can entitle this series Enduring Hope. It's ultimately what the the book of 1 Thessalonians drives to is the believer's hope because it is so significant. And Paul was concerned that if this hope, the hope in the gospel, the promise of the gospel was lost, that it would risk the very presence or the uh, existence of the church in Thessalonica. So Paul begins to address these things. But in order to lay the foundation, to, to get to where he wants to go with the hope of the believer, he begins merely, as he does often in his letters, by, by mentioning some, some other positive issues. And so he begins with this thanksgiving uh, concerning the believers. Now, the reason this is so important is because this same hope, the same hope that, that Paul addresses, you know, so many years ago in this little church is, is, is no different today. This, the hope that's contained in the gospel uh, message stands as radically significant for all believers everywhere at all times. And so the very issue that Paul addresses 2,000 years ago is still an issue today. It's still prevalent. It's still significant for each and every one of us as individuals and for Conway Baptist Church as a corporate congregation that God has placed here in this time for the sake of the gospel. And the point, again, is not what the nature of the tribulation or trials we face, because it would be quite different for you in this day than it was for them in their day in many ways. But nevertheless, the reality is that the gospel brings difficulty in our lives in different ways, but it was promised to. Jesus said that, that living for the gospel will be tough. It will cause problems for you in this world. And so in many ways, the issues are the same. And so we too stand to risk turning aside from a passionate pursuit of the gospel of God's glory if we do not have our sights set on the great hope of the gospel that far surpasses any and every, every temporary joy or sorrow that we may face. So, as we look at this, we want to we, we look at Paul's introduction because he lays a foundation that's going to lead us to this issue of the great hope of the gospel. So Paul introduces in verse 1, very much like he does in many of his letters, kind of just a general statement. And in verse 1, he says three things. He tells us who the author is. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. He tells us who the letter is to. 
to the church in Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians, and then he gives us kind of a blessing. And that's a very standard greeting. So we, we tend to gloss over those really quick, right? You know, it's kind of like saying, you know, hey, what's up? You know, and we want to get to the important part. But let's, before we get to the more meat of it, we just need to notice one thing in that greeting. Because Paul says that he's writing to the church of the Thessalonians, and interestingly enough, he says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so we need to stop and ask, what, why does Paul add this? The church in Thessalonica that's in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, what is the point of that? And, and it might seem subtle, but the one thing that we need to understand is where Paul begins. Everything that he's going to write after this stands on the foundation of what he believes. And, and it begins right here, that he's writing to a church. That is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, we might use that word carelessly today or very flippantly. What is a church? A lot of people call themselves church. But the reality is just because a group of people get together, sing some songs, and listen to somebody share a message doesn't make them a church. Man doesn't establish a church. We don't plant churches. We use that terminology, but the reality is that God is the one who establishes and God is the one who sustains the church. So any church, any gathering of people who has any bearing or, or, or ability or right to call themselves a biblical church is so not because of us, but because God establishes a church and God sustains a church. And that's what Paul says. He says that this is a church that's located in the area of Thessalonica, very much like if he's writing here, he'd say to the church of the con. Way Indians. I don't know. Um, <laughs> trying to figure that word out. So, so it's the location. It's in this area where God, by his, his divine plan, has established this church for a purpose. And therefore, God will sustain that church. That's important. That God establishes and God sustains. So we need to remember that as we begin to work our way through uh, these issues are the, the things that Paul brings up to this church because there is, these issues are very significant to us today. So he goes on from there and he says, we give thanks to God. Now, this is the basis of our message this morning. Uh, the next several verses is all about Paul giving thanks. It's all about him being thankful. And, and, and what's really neat is he takes some time to unpack this concept. He doesn't just merely throw this out there as some, some uh, catchphrase, you know, I'm thankful for. We, we say things like that very flippantly all the time. I'm thankful for. But there's meaning, there's substance to this. So he goes on to say, we, we give thanks to God constantly. And he tells us three specific things. He, he tells us how, the means by which he is giving this thanks, or the means that he's driven to by being thankful. He's going to tell us the content of his thankfulness. So again, it's not just... Kind of flip it. It's not just you know uh, platitudes. It, there's something here for why Paul is thankful for these believers. And then finally he's going to tell us the very ultimate reason for which he is thankful. And here's the thing. That Paul's thankfulness, while it is right and good for us to say things like, you know, I, I'm thankful that you have called me as your pastor. That's, that's not wrong for me to say, but if I stop there, then I'm stopping short of biblical thankfulness because biblical thankfulness is it doesn't end there it ultimately has as its object god himself and his glory its object of thankfulness is not people 
Now we may say, I'm thankful to you, but ultimately I go beyond that because I realize that while you are moving and acting and, and deciding, you guys voted to bring me here, and I'm so grateful that God is working in the midst of, of all that. The reality is that God stands behind all that. God is carrying out his purposes. God is carrying out his plan. And so there's great hope in that. There's great uh, joy in the fact that I know that our tomorrow is not, not ultimately up to me. It's not up to you, ultimately. Yes, we are a part of it. We're moving and planning and doing and all those things. But our great hope is not in how well you may do over the next several months and years or how well I may do. Your future is not dependent upon me as a, a person, as your pastor. But your, your future is based on God and what God is doing. And so we have great joy in the fact that our object of thankfulness is God. And we must go beyond while we want to say thank you to one another, we want to write cards of thanks and, and express those to one another. We need to carry it further than that because if we're truly thankful, then it's going to bear itself out in specific ways. And Paul tells us how, number one, in prayer. He says, I, we give thanks to you, God, to God for you. How? What is, how, what is the, the, the feat of thankfulness here? He says, what? He says, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. So the first thing that we need to recognize is when we say to somebody, I'm thankful for you or I'm thankful for this. That if we're truly, if that's driven by a biblical uh, spiritual drive, then we're going to realize it's not going to stop with words to one another. It's going to be borne out in our prayers. We're going to go beyond the individual. And if we're going to say, I'm thankful for you, and I'm so thankful for you, that it compels me to fall on my knees and say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, that, that you are working this out, that you are, are working in and through people to do things, to, to drive them, to compel them to, to do certain things. And so, therefore, I am thankful for that. You see, Paul's focus wasn't, he wasn't saying to the Thessalonians, man, I am so thankful that you guys are awesome. I'm so thankful that you're, you're doing this and you're doing that and, and, and you sing great and you have great, you know, this. He wasn't. I'm not saying that maybe they did. But his focus was that God was doing in the midst of his people, the church he establishes, the church that he sustains. So, so biblical thankfulness compels us to direct our attention ultimately to the one who stands behind all things by falling on our knees and praying. And, and I'm not going into all this this morning, but I realize how... Easily, we just use that idea. We pray. We're going to pray. You know, it's standard. We talk about praying. I'm guilty. And we get together and say we're going to have a prayer meeting. What do we typically do? We read names on a list. And then we spend two minutes praying, right? I mean, we're all guilty of that. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying we, we, if we're truly thankful for what God is doing in the midst, then it's going to compel us to grow and strive to be prayers and express our gratitude, not Merely to one another, but to God, because he is the object of true thankfulness. And thankfulness is going to cause us not only to pray a little, but it's going to cause us to pray consistently. Paul says specifically, we give thanks to God for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And when we're really thankful, it's the kind of thing that is going to continually be a part of our communication to God and our thankfulness to God. But we're thankful for things. We want to, to that we don't have to stop and say, well, I, I want to be thankful, so I'm going to keep praying about that. Because when God is working and we're thankful, it becomes a prominent part of our thankfulness, our communication with him in our prayers. 
The second thing that Paul says in this is not only that biblical thankfulness or his thankfulness is, uh, is concerning the means, praying, but he goes beyond that to the content. Again, it's not just a platitude. It's not just some words he throws out, but there's content to it. And he tells us exactly what that content is. He says that he's thankful, and here's part of that thankfulness. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and then your endurance of hope or steadfastness of hope. Those are the, the, that's the content of his thankfulness. Their work of faith, their labor, labor of love, and their endurance of hope. Now, the question we have to ask ultimately is, well, what does that mean? Now, we're not going to be able to drive to all that that may, may mean. And some things, I'm not even certain exactly what Paul was purposing in that. But we do have some concepts here. He says that he, he's driven to thankfulness. To pray, that is, to give thanks to God when he thinks about the Thessalonians and then he thinks about these particular things. Number one, their work of faith. Well, there's been debates over this kind of thing. Is it, is it work that brings about faith? Well, we're not even going to go there because it's not. It is work that proceeds from their faith. And, and understand that work that we do as believers may look the very same as people who don't believe. Okay, like we can go out and do good things for people. We can go feed people. We can go build ramps for the handicapped. There's non-believers that do that. But there is something that makes it different. And it is that the work that we do isn't merely uh, serving some momentary temporal need. Yes, we do that, but we go beyond that because our work is proceeding out of our belief in the gospel that goes far beyond here and now. Yes, we meet immediate needs, right? The Thessalonians were doing something. They were doing doing stuff out of their belief in the gospel. And, and so the purpose of doing what they did was in order not to merely serve an individual. Yes, but to go beyond that, to serve the purpose of the gospel, that they might bring honor and glory to God, to live out the gospel to people as they serve them. And the same is true now. What marks us out from the rest of the world, from humanitarian aid groups, is not necessarily what we do, right? Because we do some of the same things. What marks us out is why we do what we do. Why do we do these simple things? Why do we go make meals and feed somebody? Why do we show up at a hospital to sit with somebody? Why do we do those things? I'm sure we do some of those things merely because we like people. And that's good. But it needs to go beyond that. And for the Thessalonians, it did. Paul was thankful not merely just because of what they were doing, but for the why that they were doing it. He could see that the work that they were doing proceeded from their belief in the gospel. Now, he's going to help us understand that more later on, especially in this chapter. Second thing he says is because of their labor of love. Sounds very much the same. Work, labor, but there is a distinction here. It, this is the concept of labor that we read here has a negative concept here. Work is just very general. Labor here has the ideal difficulty of, 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 of strife. And so it's because of, hear this, not merely their general ideal of being loving, but their love for the gospel. And we're, again, we're going to see that as we work through this book. Their love for the gospel calls them to live out a life... A, a, to strive to face difficulties because of the gospel, but to keep on going. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes living out the gospel 
And being loving is not easy, and it brings bad stuff. Here's a good example. When you see your brother living a life that's going to cause them great harm and bring dishonor to the gospel of Jesus Christ, do you just go, ah, just let them go on and do it? Or do you go to that person you love, your brother or sister in Christ, and you say, brother, this is not good for you. You need to stop this. You need to repent. You need to turn and trust Christ to, to help you to change your life. I hope you would say yes to that. But guess what? Sometimes when you do that, what do they do? They get mad at you, don't they? They kind of go, well, who are you to judge me? Right? And so this is the kind of idea that, that Paul's expressing. He was thankful for their labor of love. They were willing to, to face difficulties because of their love, true love for people, which was ultimately a great love for the gospel. Thirdly, he says that he's thankful for their endurance of hope. Now, they were enduring because of a hope of the gospel, but there was something that, that threatened that. And that's what we're going to see later in this book. But Paul's nevertheless grateful, thankful that they were enduring because there was a hope in that message of the gospel that caused them to persevere underneath the difficulties that they would face. And again, it doesn't matter what kind of difficulties it is. It's the hope of the gospel that causes us or compels us to keep on keeping on for the sake of leading people to Christ and seeing things change. And so here's what's interesting about what Paul says here. These three things, work of faith, labor of love, and hope. Do you notice anything in, in those three ideas? It is not the normal flow of what you would expect from Paul. In fact, most of you know 1 Corinthians 13, don't you? What's the first Corinthians, the last verse? It says, but now by these three things, what? Faith, faith, hope, and love. But now Paul, for a reason, says, I'm going to focus on faith, love, and hope. And what he's done is he's moved the most significant, the one he's focusing on to the end. And so Paul very clearly tells us right here, this is what I'm writing to you about. I'm writing to you about hope. And he puts that at the end just to remind us. He's, he's thankful for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their endurance of hope. By the way, we're going to talk about endurance of hope. That's only because you need a boost. You need to be reminded of the significance of the hope that we have in Christ. And that's going to lead us to the passage that you're most familiar with in chapter 4. The great hope of the gospel. The return of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we need to finish here this morning. So the third thing, first we saw prayer. He's thankful by praying, he's thankful by remembering, and finally, he's thankful by knowing. Because he says in verse 4 and 5, he says, Knowing, brothers loved by Christ, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And here it is. Paul was thankful to God because of something he knew. That is, something that he was confident about. And that is, when he looked at the Thessalonian church, he was he had assurance. He was confident that they truly belonged to God. That's what he says. I give thanks to God, knowing, beloved by God, which in itself is a great phrase, that he has chosen you, that you belong to him. And for some reason, Paul's looking at them going, I'm pretty confident that you're a believer. Not just merely because you say so, but because of something else. Now, there's two reasons, ultimately, that Paul's going to unpack on this. One of them we're going to deal with next week in verses 6 through 10. But the first one has nothing to do with the Thessalonians. 
Look at what he says. He says, I, I, I know that you belong to him. Why? Because our gospel came to you. Do you see that? Where I, The confidence in other people's salvation doesn't begin with them. It doesn't begin with what we see in them. It begins with the message of the gospel. But you see what Paul says there? He says, I'm confident that you belong to him because our gospel, that is the message of the gospel, came to you. And then he says, not only in word, and then he unpacks that. But it came in power and in Holy Spirit and in full conviction or full assurance. Now, the first thing you need to notice here is what we might skip over. Because he says, it came to you not only in word. But don't miss this. It it solidifies the fact that the gospel did come in word. Understand? But it did not come only in word. The gospel is a message that must be proclaimed. You've heard, and and I understand how people use this phrase, you know, know, preach the gospel always. Francis of Assisi said this. And if necessary, use words. You ever heard that saying? And it's the ideal of living out the gospel. Well, guess what? That's a great saying if if you're focusing on what he was focusing on. But the reality is... It does require words. It is a proclamation. It is a message that must be spoken forth. And so Paul's confidence in their salvation, the reason he was thankful that they belonged to God was because he knew that the gospel message had been proclaimed, but that it didn't stop there. We can't just proclaim it and then walk away. There's more to it. There's another side to it. And Paul says, but it also came to you. In power, in Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. Those are three ideas that's difficult for us to get at the heart of. But here's what I get from it. Is that there is a, a, an aspect that you and I can handle. That is, we can proclaim. But then there's another side to it that we can't really figure out. The power and the Holy Spirit concept. God is at work in the midst of it, right? We proclaim. We speak for the gospel. God does something that we can't do. He works in hearts. He changes hearts. And this is why... Paul was confident about their faith because the gospel was preached and somehow it was evident that God was at work in the midst of their lives and changed them. And we're going to see the change next week. And then finally, he says, it also came in full conviction. And, I, and I, I'm not sure about my, how I understand this, but here's what I will say about it. I think it has to do with Paul's great confidence in the message of the gospel. Because when we're confident about something... We'll come out and we're, we're very pointed when we speak it, right? We're not kind of like, well, you know, you might, you might want to repent. You know, it, it might be a good idea if you maybe pray sometimes. We don't, if we don't know, we might say something like that. And there's some people in this world who would do that kind of thing. Maybe prayer will help. Maybe, maybe reading the Bible would help. But no, Paul's confidence was not in him. His confidence was not in, in the people that he was preaching to his But his confidence was in the message that he was preaching. It was real. It wasn't some sham. It was something that was substance, had substance to it. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he was able to come and proclaim that with full conviction or full assurance that God would do what he's promised to do when the gospel is proclaimed. And God has told us in many places, one familiar word is in Isaiah 55. The word would go forth and it would not return void. And so my great hope My great confidence doesn't have anything to do with me. Trust me. That's my fear or my concern. My hope is that if I stay faithful to the gospel message, that God's work will be done. Because I do this part. I speak the gospel. You speak the gospel. 
But then God does his part, the part that you and I can't do. He works through the power of the Holy Spirit to change hearts, to change lives. So this is ultimately what Paul is saying. I'm thankful, not because you guys are, are cool or you're nice or you've done good things, but because God has established his church. And we know that because of the message that was preached was the gospel message, the one that he gave to us. And when that's preached, God works and he changes lives. And so for that reason, I can bow my knees and say we give thanks to God. Because we know your work of faith, your labor of love, your endurance of hope. And we know that you belong to him because of the message that was preached and the work of, of, and of power, the power of God moving in the midst of the proclamation of the word. So for us, here's what we need to remember. That biblical thankfulness, number one, as I said, always has its object, God. God is always the focus, not an individual. They may be a part of it, but we go beyond that. Our object of thankfulness is God because God is the one who stands behind all things. Every good gift comes from God, right? He's the one that's working, as I heard in, in Sunday school. He's the one who's working all things together for good. Not, not me, not you. We may be trying to do things, but ultimately our trust and our hope is in God. Um, biblical Thanksgiving drives us. To continual expression in prayer. If you say, hey, we're thankful. If you say you're thankful that you have a pastor now, then go beyond that. Don't just say to me how thankful you are. Pray and keep praying. Be thankful to God for what he is doing in your midst. Biblical thanksgiving has the gospel as its content, not circumstances and stuff. We're not merely thankful that God gave us money. We're not merely thankful that, you know, we had a good crop. I'm not saying those are wrong, but we don't stop there. We go beyond that. Those are merely uh, means in the midst of the bigger picture. Our thankfulness must be driven to the gospel, which makes us think, right? How can this stuff serve the purpose of the gospel? How can a good harvest serve the purpose of the gospel? We don't often think that way, do we? But we need to. Biblical thankfulness goes beyond circumstances and stuff. And it has its focus in the gospel. Biblical thanksgiving understands that God's mission is the salvation of his people through the proclamation of the gospel message. If we're truly thankful for what God is, has, is, and will be doing, if we're really thankful, and it's not just platitudes and words, and it's not just about pleasant circumstances and what we get out of it, personal gain, if we're really thankful that it will terminate, not in our stuff, not in our circumstances, not in other people, but it will terminate in our concern for God's mission. And his mission is the salvation of his people for his glory. And it's my prayer that that's the mission of Conway Baptist Church. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We pray, Lord, that you will drive this word in our hearts and that it will compel us to live for the glory of the gospel. Father, help us to learn and to understand how it is that the gospel is more about more than just us gathering here on Sunday mornings and maybe a few other times a week. But it really has its, its greatest work when we go out into the places you've placed us. Uh, in our work, in, our, in the places we play, in, in, in our schools. That that's where the real mission field is. That's really where the gospel uh, can be utilized and glorified the most. And I pray, Lord, that... Conway Baptist Church 
while it may be known around here, and, and I don't even know yet, for many things, I pray that the greatest thing that it will ever be known for is uh, its, its visible and verbal testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray that if there are those who are here who, who have yet to come underneath the, the, the conviction of the gospel upon their hearts, they, they've yet to, to come to faith in Christ, to repent of their sins and believe the, the great hope of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit this morning, you would work in their hearts and, and change them, that you would cause them to run to the cross and receive the grace and forgiveness that you so freely offer. Father, we love you and pray you would be glorified in our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we have a final song, if I'm correct, that we're going to sing. 140. And, and as we do this, and, and following that, we're going to transition right into a time of communion, which is a, a great way for us to finish this morning. And, and I'll mention why in, in just a minute. But right now, this is a time for us to, to, to respond. Now, it's not the only way to respond. It is a way to respond. But here's what we must always remember. And you're going to hear this. Probably week after week. Whether we respond or not is not the issue. Because when the word is preached, we, ha- we do respond. We respond for or respond against. And so our prayer is that we respond in conjunction with God's glory in the way that he desires us to respond. And if that response is, is that you need to, to talk with someone, I'll be here. And others would make themselves available. If you need to pray here or where you stand, if you need to repent, if you need someone to help talk to you more about the gospel, you respond in whatever way God's spirit moves you to respond. And we'll be here. But it doesn't end right now. It continues. That response does. So let's stand and sing.